How can parents prepare themselves for the sacrifice of missions with their children? Debbie Dunford. Yeah, I would say it was a very much a roller coaster of emotions for me. It's a very unknown place that they were going to, and I had never been, never experienced it. I shed a lot of tears the day that we actually woke up to put them on the plane. I remember putting some kind of marking on the 22 suitcases that they had. All of a sudden, no, no, we got to take that off. And I thought, oh, shoot. <laughs> I just blew their cover again. So your mind just goes in other places. We'll explore that challenging question today. But first, if you're a regular listener to this show, we wanted to say thank you. Without the Lord's help and without you, we wouldn't still be doing this. But we also want you to know that this show wouldn't exist if it weren't for ABWE International and ABWE missionaries like Justin who's a missionary in a Muslim country in Asia. So let me tell you about him. One day, he was wandering a crowded street doing street evangelism. He'd been doing it every morning for nine months with no results. He was discouraged. He sat down at an outdoor coffee shop. Local men crowded the table, fraternizing before the start of the workday. Justin tried to start a spiritual conversation with the Muslim man seated next to him, and the man, disinterested, walked off. But before Justin could even process the rejection, he heard a voice speaking to him in broken English. The voice said, you said sins forgiven, how? It was another Muslim man who had been sitting next to him who was listening silently the whole time. Justin, knowing the dangers of doing evangelism openly in this country, started to whisper to him about Jesus. They crept closer and closer until they were inches apart. They were looking around for danger the whole time. Justin whispered the gospel into this man's ear, and the man grabbed him by the shoulders, pushed him back, and said, many of us want to know this message, but we're not allowed to ask. That's what life is like in a country where evangelism is illegal, and more than 130 ABWE workers like Justin are serving in places like this. Every gift to ABWE's Global Gospel Fund goes to critical staffing, support, training, and services to advance the gospels of the lost and unreached through faithful workers like Justin. So learn more and become a partner with ABWE at abwe.org partner. That's abwe.org partner. Welcome to Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Communications with ABWE, joined by Scott Dunford, West Coast Advancement Coordinator and Lead Church Planter for Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. I am excited for today's topic. We'll get into that in a minute. Today's a very different episode, but uh, first, I need to tell you just a little bit of a life update from my life. My daughter, she's three now. She's starting to ask some questions and she asked me the other day, what is love? Which is like, okay, <laughs> we're going for it. Yeah, she's three. She's three. Yeah. In fact, she was watching um, Frozen the other day too and uh, watches the ending scene there. And she says, Anna died and then rose again. And uh, of course, I made a beeline for the gospel <laughs> and Jesus juked the poor kid. Um, but yes, yes, sweetie, those are good words. And as she's growing up and as she's getting older, Scott and my other kids, of course, um, they get older at roughly the same rate. Um, I'm thinking to myself, I, man, I could not imagine this little three-year-old girl, uh, if she were to ever leave, if she were to ever do what, what I do and think about all day, every day here at our organization, which is missions. Uh, I, I don't even know if I could wrap my mind around that. And that's a topic that a lot of our listeners have been asking us over the last few weeks is what about the parent 
what or the grandparent, the, the family, how do they say goodbye? How do they handle that? And Scott, of course, you're the missionary here. I've not been a missionary on the field. I know that you've thought about this a lot. Well, I remember hearing, you know, it actually first came to my mind when John Piper was had preached a sermon on missions and he quotes from a letter Jim Elliott wrote to his parents. And he he quoted from a song that I grew up hearing all the time at missions conferences. You probably didn't because you were so much cooler and more contemporary than me, Alex. Yeah. Although it did strike me when you were saying your daughter asked you what is love. I hope you responded. Baby, Baby don't, don't hurt, hurt me. me. Yeah. But uh, regardless, um, I'm sure we just ticked off somebody um, who will go nameless. But uh, Part of the course. <laughs> yes. But uh, you know, I was thinking of those missions conferences and the song Oh Zion Haste, you know, and it was written in, in 1868, kind of at the beginning of, of the, you know, kind of the modern, what we call the modern missions movement. Um, and listen to these words uh, from, I think it's the third or fourth verse. Give of your own or give of your sons to bear the message glorious. Give of your wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out your soul for them in prayer victorious. And all your spending, Jesus will, will repay. We often think of the sacrifice of going, but we we don't stop to think about what it would have taken, especially at those times. But even now, the sacrifice of spending. And here, this songwriter in 1868, thinking about parents not just sending their kids off to the mission field, but really realizing they will never see them again, probably. I mean, most of the missionaries yeah. at that time that got on a ship to go to, you know, the you know, the great reaches beyond. Um, never returned in their lifetime and uh, to realize there is a cost to sending as well. So uh, we brought in some experts today, didn't we, Alex? Some very special experts, Bruce and Debbie Dunford. Um, is there any relationship there, Scott? Well, um, yes, there there is um, a, a strong family resemblance, but it's my mom and dad. So <laughs> we thought, you know, how can we talk about this better than bringing in um, the people who've actually done it, at least in my life? So um, welcome, uh, Bruce and Debbie, mom and dad to our show. And uh, we're glad to have you on, aren't we, Alex? Well, first of all, uh, yes, we're very glad. Second, uh, everybody that I know is sort of coming to me and saying, hey, we need the dirt on Scott. So maybe when we stop recording, uh, we can do that. And, and, and or maybe while we're still recording. So <laughs> we need some dirt on Scott. Um, anything that you have along those lines, as long as it's, you know, PG, you're more than welcome to share. But beyond that, tell us a little bit about yourselves and your introduction to missions. Well, um, I'm Bruce. My wife is Debbie. We, um, we've always had a heart, I think, for missions, but it didn't become personal, of course, until I became a pastor. Uh, we pastored in West Bend for 22 years. Uh, prior to that, we were up at Northland Baptist Bible College. But once, um, when we were at Northland, I guess we weren't real sure how the Lord was going to use us at that point yet. And certainly one of the op options in my mind and heart was missions. Uh, it didn't go that way. We ended up being called into the pastorate, but still had a heart for missions. And we were blessed to be able to visit a few mission fields, which was, uh, you know, very enlightening, challenging, a uh, huge blessing. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then when our son went into ministry and our second son is in ministry as well, but when Scott went into ministry and then eventually announced that he felt the Lord calling them to, to the mission field in China, that uh, it all became very real, uh, very real to us. So, Mom, uh, tell us a little bit. What 
when when you first got the call and I, I realized, you know, okay, we all get it like, oh, praise the Lord. It was wonderful. You know, like beside this, beside the initial great, wonderful spiritual responses, what was your initial, <laughs> what were your, some of your initial thoughts, your feelings, uh, fears when you hear the words like, hey, um, mom and dad, we think God's calling us to missions. Okay. Um, initially, I was excited about it, but but then I started, the reality started setting in thinking, oh no, um, my kids are leaving, my grandchildren are leaving. And then when they were going to a, you know, when you told us that you're going to China, it was a communist country. You only hear things, you don't really know it, but you hear about things. And then um, you just start wondering. And I, and I really even questioned, is he really being called or does he just want to go? And so I was challenging, you know, always asking questions. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And um, but it was kind of a fearful, kind of a fearful thing for all the unknown. Um, one thing that that did help, though, is uh, we just started asking more questions and we got to visit um, the mission you know, ABWE, we went out there to visit. It just slowly started to be a little more comfortable, but initially it was kind of a scary thing. Um, yeah. Not knowing if I was going to see you again, how my grandkids were going to be growing up. Um, you know, just those fearful things. You're my son and always will be. And so I'm always a mother hen and a mama bear about those kind of things still. Yeah. What about you, dad? Um, well, at first it was, a. Uh... I think at first it was, well, that's, that's wonderful. You know, you're serving the Lord, you're going where God's calling you. And, and then it becomes more, um, uh, you realize that, you know, the price of ministry and you know, we all are evangelistic minded, but then when the cost of that becomes real personal, you know, and you're thinking my children, my son and my grandkids, my daughter-in-law are going to be going on the other side of the world. Um, it becomes a little bit more, uh, disconcerting i guess you know will it be safe you know what's it what's going to be what's you know will we will the grandkids even remember us when they come back um you know things like that it, it became um there's a time i guess of uh i don't know how to describe it really it, it wasn't a you know it wasn't a fear um deep concern i suppose and hoping and praying that this is truly god's will and not just an you know a uh an adventuresome mind, mm -hmm. you know, you are always one to adventure and Me? launch out <laughs> yeah. to the tops of the trees that, you know, you didn't belong and those kinds of things. <laughs> you know? So it was exciting and frightening at the same time. So just to follow up a little bit, like you talked about the initial feeling, you talked about some of the progress of those feelings, like imagining, you know, parents hearing their kids for the first time, you know, besides you, you, you know, your experience, what about like, was it different feelings? Like when you first heard when your kids are raising support and they're on the road all the time, when you're packing them up and they're getting on the plane, when you first hear that they landed, can you kind of walk through like, was there a diff? was there like a range of feelings you felt? Was it roller coaster? Was it up and to the right? You know, um, help me understand that better. Um, as you were on the road, um, raising support, I knew it was going to come to the, you know, to the point that you guys were going to be leaving, but you were still in the States. So I knew where you were and what you were doing. Um, yeah, you probably saw us more then than any time. Yeah. yeah. Because we, yeah, were the, yeah. we were the place for you to stay when you were going other places. Yeah. So, um, so 
it really didn't hit reality, you know, as much, but as closer and closer you got to raising that full support to go. And then the other thing that happened was um, you decided to take grandma with you too. So that was another family member that was going to go as well. Um, the roller coaster, it was a roller coaster for me. Um, and I think the most emotional was probably, you know, that week before you were going to leave and making sure that we weren't going to lose Augie and, and Cademan and, and buying, and I think it was even Basil. We bought, we bought harnesses for you so you wouldn't lose the kids in the crowd. They were um, two, five, and six. Yeah. Because no one knows how old they were. They were little. You know, yeah. you can imagine that, Alex, you know, with little kids. Little and I would also, I would also like to point out, too, for benefit of everybody that listens and thinks that I'm the theology nerd, that Scott here is the one who named his kids Basil and Augustine and Cademan. I'm just pointing that out. That's, <laughs> that, that's true. Yeah. I, you flaunt it more, Alex. <laughs> I, I think the day that the day that we actually actually woke up to put them on the plane was probably the most emotional for me. Um, I shed a lot of tears, but I also I remember putting some kind of marking on the 22 suitcases that they had tags or something. I think there was an address on it or something. I can't remember, but whatever it was. All of a sudden, Tara looked at it and she goes, no, no, we got to take that off. And I thought, oh, shoot, <laughs> I just blew their cover again, you know, or I'm going to endanger them or whatever. So your mind just goes in other places, you know, and it's a mm. very unknown place that they were going to. And I had never been, never experienced it. So I was, yeah, I would say it was a very much a roller coaster of emotions for me. It was definitely, it ramped up, no, no doubt about it. You know, at first it was, well, I'm proud of you. You're surrendering to the Lord. That's really exciting. And then you're on the road and I'm praying for your safety and a lot of miles and, you know, but yet you're still within reach. And then when that last couple of days, when we were loading up the trailer with all of your bags and mm -hmm. um, that few moments at the airport, that was pretty much awful. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> um, you know, unloading those bags, seeing the little kids in their harnesses. <laughs> And you know, a mound of suitcases and you guys all trying to get things organized. And, and then when we had to drive away, yeah, I think that was, uh, we both cried. I'm going to cry again. <laughs> we both cried all the way back to Wisconsin. Because um, you don't know. There's a lot of unknowns. You're trusting the Lord and you know God is good always, even if bad happens. But yet there's still that part of your heart that's laying on the curb mm. well our listeners don't see it but um bruce and debbie are uh tearing up a little bit and um i i imagine that there's people listening who feel this at a deep level whether it's about their kids their grandkids so what were the things that you clung to then so you drove away you drove back home and uh, what did you cling to in the weeks and months and years that followed from that point? Well, certainly our, our understanding of God and his, his goodness. There were, there were songs, you know, that I think were special, special blessings to us that, you know, that kind of helped us express, you know, our feelings, you know, musically, you know, we would just sing along, you know, with some of those and that would, you know, that was helpful. Um, you know, and we would just, you know, you know, cling to the fact that we know that, you know, they're in God's hands. God is good always. Um, if, you know, if we are, if, if we spend our life doing what we know God has called us to do, that's the best we can do. 
no matter how long that may be. You know, so we hung, I think we clung to those things. Um, the fact that we had the ability, at least somewhat, you know, to be able to communicate, you know, with them through, through Skype or at that time it was Skype. Um, that was huge. That was a real help to be able to log on and see their faces, see the apartment, see things. What really was hard for me was when I would get word of a, of a setback or a disappointment or a problem, you know, like yeah. landing and having an apartment. And then you find out, you know, that all of a sudden you don't have the apartment and it's like, Oh no, you know, those things are hard because you want to be there to help. You can't, you know, and all you can do is say, well, we'll pray for you. And, you know, and that, no, we'll think of you. We couldn't even, say yeah, we couldn't even say pray for you. Yeah. We couldn't use mm-hmm. certain words. So we had to, we had to think about them or, you know, their friends and our friends and, you know, that kind of stuff. So we had to talk in code, you know, which was hard. I was always messing it up. <laughs> Scott was hanging up on me all the time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so you cling to those things. You cling to what you know, you know, that gets you through what you don't know. What, was it harder um, getting ready and preparing to say goodbye and actually saying goodbye? Or did it get easier once once we were there? I think it got better. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think it got better um, once I figured out where you're going to be living, when we could talk to you. Once I figured out the code of of how we're supposed to talk on Skype or on the phone or whatever, so I wouldn't get them in trouble. Um, the thing that really helped me was to actually um, go and visit the field. And, and if, if any parents are able to do that, I think that just gives you, you have a you have a better understanding of where they're living. When they're talking to you, you know where they're sitting. Um, you know the community that they're in. You're meeting the people. And for me, the greatest fear was, and it wasn't that much longer after um, 9-11, so there was just the fear in the United States of of Muslims and um, those kind of things. And so you do have those kind of thoughts. And then to know that he was going to a communist country and also going to be working with Muslim people it was so good for me to get to actually meet them, to see the community they were living in and to feel like this is exactly where God has them to be. And they're safer there than being back home with me. Um, that's because it's where God wants them to be. So for me to actually get eyes on where they lived, the people they were ministering to, and even even getting to be part of like they had a uh, an English corner at one of the universities. I got to meet some wonderful people that needed Jesus and um, just to see their world and be part of that just helped me understand it a whole lot more. And that put me at a lot more at ease. Uh, One thing I remember Scott doing is um, I think he got up at three in the morning because we were 13 minutes or 13 hours uh, difference. Um, He wanted to watch the Packer game with us. So he got up really early in the morning and turned on, turned on his, uh, we turned on our computer and faced it to the TV. So we got to watch a football game with him. It was 13 hours different time, but you know, that, that just gave us some closeness, some connections. So we didn't feel so far away. So all those kind of things happening and going to visit and all just kind of calmed, calmed, um, calmed my fears. And I just knew that's exactly where God wanted him to be. And so then you go into super support mode, whatever you need. Um, we'll try to get it to you. Um, things like that. So I would say it got, it got better. Just uh, the fear of the unknown. I think that's the big thing. And once you understand where they're, where they're ministering and, and what they're doing, it helps you be more a part of it. Mm. 
Now, how was it for you in thinking through the relationship with the grandkids, too, and the loss of relationship there? You mentioned that a little bit. By the way, I should correct myself. I said August. Uh, I said Augustine. I should have said Augustine. Anyway, um, that's for you, Scott. Uh, well, but we use the Catholic yeah. pronunciation. Yeah, that's very um, interesting choice of yours, but we'll go with it. You know, it's all good. <laughs> that's my wife's choice. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And what was that like for you guys, for, for you, Bruce and, and Debbie, um, to think through not not having them in close proximity to you well that was a a, a very real um, reality to us is that we're we're not able to be as close to them as we want to you can't hug them you can't smell them uh you can't you know squeeze them and you know play with them so when we got to visit them that was huge you know to be able to spend time um just tearing around with the kids and, and building you know building a connection a relationship you know, and it certainly was something that um, I think I felt anyway, you know, a concern about not having the, a closeness to them. That's that's the blessing of us being out here now is uh, we can be close to them and I think catch up, you know, on some of that. Um, mm. And so that that's that's real. You know, the only thing you can really do is. Like Debbie said, you know, with Skype at that time or FaceTime or whatever we whatever programs are out there now. Just spend time chatting, and and of course, that's probably not something that interests the kids as much as it interests the grandparents. But it is such a blessing when the kids take time, you know, to talk to you or write you little notes and send them or whatever. And then, of course, sending gifts and sending things to them, and then for us to be able to sit and watch on Skype while they open those presents was was a real blessing. It really warmed your heart. But it also changed the way I think you thought of. Um, missionary kids in the States, you know, sure, can yeah. you talk about that a little sure. bit? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it, it opened our hearts to the reality of these kids coming home, you know, from the field, leaving their parents coming here and the same sense of loss that we felt, you know, with our kids going the other way, they no doubt felt coming this way. Mm -hmm. And so what, you know, what we found ourselves doing maybe just naturally or instinctively is opening our home to them Bring them, bringing them in, making them part of our family and um, kind of just being those surrogate parents and, and siblings to them. Uh, we had a lot of, lot of interaction, a lot of kids in our home. Um, so I guess always. I, I also think as, as parents go to the mission field and they have older children and they go later in life, just knowing that there's a church or a church family you know, in their sending church or whatever that would be, that will be that home away from home for those kids. I, I, it just became more real to me um, to be able to do that. And I think now as pastor and wife, we were even able to encourage our church people to see the need there and to be um, to be a family for those for those kids. And I think it was a comfort to the parents to know that there was another um, family there that was looking after their kids and trying to be you know, fill in the gap for them too. So it did open our eyes to the need for mission missionary kids for them coming back from a different culture to come back into America, how they're going to transition things we could do to help make it easier for those kids to get adjusted into transition things we could do to help the, the parents as they come back. Cause there's just a lot of cultural changes and our grandkids went very young. So the, the Chinese culture was, 
very much a part of their their growing up life, you know, early on. And so just to come back, you know, any of the kids that come back, you know, just to get them acclimated to a different culture. So it really did open my eyes to a lot of that and change the way I thought about that. I think there's a there's a really good book that I think ABWE put out is it called Third Culture Kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We read that. That was really helpful. Mm-hmm. That was good. And we'll go over some more resources and things like that towards the end as well. We want to resource people that are thinking about this. But I also want to ask some questions of you guys when we come back from the break about what about families that are different from yours, families that are less supportive, maybe even families with unbelievers in them. And we can discuss that more with Bruce and Debbie Dunford on today's show. Back in a minute. Hi, I'm Scott Dunford, and I'd like to share with you about a new nonprofit ministry established to help churches, Christian schools, and other ministries protect children and prevent abuse. Rich Hamar from Church Law and Tax states that the number one reason that drives churches to court is child sexual abuse. I can't think of anything more devastating to these lives, their families, and our witness before a watching world than sexual abuse that takes place in ministry. The traumatic impact often leaves the vulnerable not wanting anything to do with God or his people. Our efforts toward evangelism, discipleship, and spiritual formation are not only neutralized, but shattered. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention was formed to help ministry leaders understand the complexities of child protection and abuse prevention. They are establishing standards and an accreditation program that will help verify that appropriate measures are in place at your church or ministry. Learn more about them. Find a helpful and free assessment tool to help you see how you measure up in this area. Go to abuseprevention.org and click on the link for this resource assessment. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention and this June attend the National Conference. Go to abuseprevention.org and register with ABWE21 as the promo code to receive 20% off your ticket. That's promo code ABWE21 to receive 20% off. Brooks Buser, president of Radius International. I am here with Mark Dever, senior pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist and president of Nine Marks. When you go to a culture that's a different language than yours, you're ending up in a kind of majority language that's been reached and there are other people still more hidden, and it's those people who are often almost entirely unreached, and they take more cross-cultural effort. Is there a way we can better train people to have more realistic expectations of what life is like in the kind of two steps away from my culture and be able to sustain family life with its normal difficulties there so that there can be a long years and even decades long witness in that culture? And it seems like Radius is set up to provide that training. Radius is about reaching unreached people groups. Go to radiusinternational.org, radiusinternational.org. We're back with the one and the only Bruce and Debbie Dunford, parents of the Scott Dunford. And so we're excited to be doing this. This is super fun. And um, before we dive back in, and it's a heavy topic, parents saying goodbye to children who answer the call of missions. But I, I got to ask, just it doesn't have to be the worst thing. It doesn't have to be the most embarrassing thing. But you, you got to tell me something stupid Scott did when he was a kid. I just I, I have to ask that just for the sake of everyone listening, but mostly myself and my yeah, own morbid curiosity. Memories. They end up making up stuff. Usually it's about my brother and then they just put my name on it. So whatever they say, just <laughs> sure, probably isn't true. But go ahead. Scott doesn't even have a brother. <laughs> he was the perfect child. I just can't imagine thinking of anything that he would have done <laughs> that was wrong. 
<laughs> I don't know. Do you have any any memories there, Jeff? Well, just one thing that comes to mind a little bit. Um, he was pretty young. I think maybe second grade. We lived in a um, we lived in a we lived in a um, subdivision that was developing, and so there was a new um, new house that was getting getting built, and there was dirt piles all over over the place, and it was a definite construction site, and we specifically told them, do not ride your bike over there. And so Scott rode his bike over there, and he went up some dirt piles or whatever and fell and broke his elbow, and he and his brother come walking back, dragging the bike, and he broke his arm doing what he wasn't supposed to do. But that was Scott. He was adventurous, and I guess that that's not a really bad thing, but that's, that's just a pretty team. Yeah, that's pretty, t- you know, so I, yeah. I got to give you props, mom and dad, for not talking about, you know, all the boogers that he was flicking at the other kids in Sunday school or anything like that. So with <laughs> with that said, uh, mm-hmm. I would love to hear what advice you would give to missionaries um, who are considering what it's like for their families back home. But then I also want to dive deeper into some other family situations too, and maybe folks who who didn't have as much unity in Christ as you guys had. But first, how'd you encourage the missionary themselves to think about the, the parents that are at home and are mourning the loss of those family connections and ties? Well, I think um, as much as is possible, com- communication is important. You know, understanding from each each other's perspective, you know, if you can be honest and, and clear, you know, that that is you know, always helpful. You can't, you just can't communicate too much, you know, to let your, let your folks, your parents back home know the different things that the grandkids are doing or experiencing or what you're experiencing, you know, sharing the hard things too. You know, we don't want to just, you know, imagine that there's nothing tough going on over there and we know there is, you know, and letting us hear what that is so we can be, you know, supportive as much as we possibly can. It's hard sometimes to feel like you're effectively supporting when you don't really understand, you know, what it's like on, you know, the boots on the ground there. But um, I think, you know, sharing, talking about those things as much as is possible is helpful. You know, reaching out during those special days, you know, birthdays, anniversaries, things like that, just to make sure there's there's connections there. Um, you know, when, we, when Scott mentioned earlier about how hard it must have been to, to put your children on a boat, you know, and send them off on a three-month journey and know full well you won't see them again, and then knowing that it could be months or years before you even receive a letter or anything, how I just cannot imagine that, knowing how hard it was waiting just for days or hours to get a text, you know. So I say just... just Communicating, but then on the same hand, parents need to be understanding that your your children are over there to do a job. They're busy. They're mm-hmm. engaged. Their mind isn't back in the stage wondering how grandma and grandpa are doing. Their mind is what's going on down the street or next door or, or you know, in the community. And, and the parents have to understand that. They're doing a job. We're sending them to do a, to do a job that's very consuming. And so for us as parents... To be understanding and patient, you know, as hard as it is, I think it's essential. Yeah, here's something that I've been wondering too. So sometimes a parent will come to a child and, you know, hey, I'm, excuse me, a child come to a parent and say, hey, you know, I'm feeling this call. I'm, I'm sensing this burden, this leading this direction. And I think we're talking about this sort of ideal situation where 
Scott was qualified and biblically being led and there was confirmation, there was affirmation, the Lord opened that door and the rest is history. I'm curious, how would you advise someone in a situation where, hey, everybody's a believer, the parents, the child, um, or the, the family's involved, and yet the call isn't to call. Maybe the person, the child, is unqualified for the ministry, or maybe there's a huge blind spot in their character or their life or their ministry, and it's the parent's job in that moment to say, hang on, buddy. But that can easily be misunderstood as just attachment, right? right? And so how can those things be separated? How would you approach that? Yeah, I, I think that there's a number of um, vehicles, you know, that need to be involved, you know, in, in something like that. When a, when a young person is sensing a call or just feeling an excitement, they went on a missions trip with a youth group and they came back and they're all excited. And, you know, this is what I want to do with my life. And, you know, and, and yet, you know, that in your heart as a parent, that that's maybe not uh, what's right or best. The church needs to be involved in that. Other believers, other spiritual um, authorities and leaders in that, in that young person's life need to speak and be involved in that. It's hard to tell a young person that, you know, that no, uh, you're not qualified. No, you're not ready. Or, or perhaps this isn't the field, you know, that you should be going to. It, it feels very um, unspiritual or untrusting, like how can I challenge that person's quote unquote call, you know, but if you really love them and you're really wanting what God's best is, you have to, you have to become very objective and practical. Mm. Now, what about that situation then? And you can both answer this and Scott, I'm curious for you as well too, because I, I think this is a situation that we probably haven't experienced personally, but there's people listening who have walked through a scenario where the person with the missionary calling or leading or prompting, whatever term you prefer to use there, has parents who were unbelievers, who were unsupportive of that. What counsel would we have? Well, we had, um, I remember when I, when I surrendered to ministry, I was, I was uh, in uh, banking, doing mortgage lending, had a very successful career going. And I remember when we announced to our parents and grandparents that we were going to be leaving that career returning to Bible college, you know, back on, you know, to get some more training and then head to the ministry. I remember how upset um, my wife's grandparents were pretty much feeling like we were throwing our life away, you know, that I was making the dumbest mistake that there was. I remember my own dad said something to the effect that, well, I guess I'm going to have to start saving money. So I'll have to be supporting you, you know, and, and um, you know, as, you know, as the young person, communicating something that I felt very strongly in my heart is what God would have us to do. It was kind of um, discouraging. It was a little bit hurtful, but on the other hand, on the same hand, you just realize that, well, they don't understand. God's, God's good. He'll take care of us. So, um, you know, we uh, kind of tasted that, you know, ourselves personally. We also sought counsel from um, good godly counselors, people that we trusted, men of God that and women that we, you know, that we trusted their opinion and got support from them because, you know, and then we just had to prove our family wrong that this definitely was what God had for us. And we were right in the middle of where God wanted us to be. And if you're confident of that, you just have to take that step and do it. And uh, they respect you after that when they see that, oh, things did turn out. And, you know, not that it was always rosy, but God's in control of our life. And um 
Yeah, you certainly sense the tension, even in the Gospels, you know, where Jesus, you know, certainly encourages honoring father and mother, and he was very honoring of his, uh, of his mother, but, um, but also that sense of, I mean, very clearly saying that sometimes loving and following God looks like hating, you know, your father and mother, and uh, we must be willing to abandon father and mother sometimes for the sake of the gospel. And and how to walk that line in a way that shows honor and respect physically, while also and, and even fulfills our commandment to to um, uh, I think that has to be weighed in the commandment, you know, to care for our aging parents. Uh, I know a lot of our our listeners, our missionary listeners, wrestle with that as they get into you know their fifties and sixties and and have aging parents and have to make hard decisions. Like that, that we don't lose that that requirements. And then the body takes up that role for us, you know, as we send out people. Uh, but sometimes it means, you know, like our, our ministry changes. And as we get older, we, we shift and have to, you know, go into taking care of parents mode. And, uh, so I, I think we, we strive to honor mother and father, even lost mother and father, but also recognizing, you know, Christ is the, is the ultimate. So my advice to, to, those who are considering missions who maybe parents aren't believers is you should probably even move more slowly and more cautiously and more deliberately and uh, talk to some who've gone through that. We could put you in touch with some of our uh, other missionaries who've dealt with that. And uh, min- there's many, many people going to missions whose parents aren't believers or, aren't, who, are, or who aren't supporters um, of them going into missions at that time. You should go slowly and carefully and honor your parents through that process. But in the end of the day, you know, I mean, that's why you have a church and that's why you um, sometimes have to obey the spirit, even when it uh, goes against sometimes what our earthly father and mother want. What, what would you say to that, Alex? I'm curious. I would have to echo everything that you said, Scott. I think that's where Christ's teaching maps over directly onto our situation, that in one family, there's one divided against two and two against three. And I, I do feel like in some of our theological circles, it's very possible to de-emphasize uh, the role of family because we talk about sacrifice and going and and mission and and who our true brothers and sisters and father and mother are in the Lord. Um, there's this other impulse though that overemphasizes family, right? And that can that can make family the sort of end all and be all of you know the blessings of of being in the covenant and those sorts of things. And and I, I do think that we have to really dive into what Jesus says there that you know what, um, sometimes there is division in a household. And uh, we've felt this uh, personally, because my wife's family uh, are not all believers. And uh, there was some early skepticism in our relationship, as I was at that point saying, hey, I'm gonna, um, gonna get into full time ministry. And actually, at that point, I was in the application process to work for a different missions agency. Um, and that's a that's a story that we'll tell sometime offline. Um, but there was there was some skepticism there for sure. Um, it is a matter of, like you said, Debbie, trusting that the Lord's going to work it out in your lives, not in such a way of like, it's not about vindicating me. It's not about showing that, yeah, I engineered my life so much better and I was right and you were wrong. It's that, hey, you know what? Yeah, I am youthful. Yeah, I am naive. I'm worse than you know. But my Savior, who you don't know, is going to take care of me. And my life's going to bear that out. I, I, and I think that, you know, beyond that, it just takes a lot of wisdom and truth and grace and speech that's uh, seasoned with salt. Um, these aren't easy issues. So we've gotten some audience questions about this, and we do want to be sensitive to the fact that there aren't one-size-fits-all answers for this. Um, there are circumstances where the Lord might be leading you to stay, 
you might have a different job at home. Um, but there's, again, there's, there's wisdom for all of these scenarios. Curious to hear what more advice that, that you guys would have for people in general and for parents and grandparents of those currently considering missions. Well, one of the things that just, uh, I just thought of here is I remember thinking this, you know, that I didn't, I couldn't trust my own heart. I, you know, I really wanted this, um, you know, when we went into ministry, into ministry, but I wasn't, I wasn't confident in my ability to understand my own heart in it because it is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. So we did, like Debbie said, we got counsel. Uh, we talked to our pastor. We talked to other uh, godly friends and, and, and did our best to, you know, heed the advice, you know, of others so that I knew it wasn't just an emotional thing of my own or even a pride thing. You know, sometimes you can, you can think uh, in your heart, well, I can do that. I can do it better, you know, and, um, you know, it becomes a, even a, a matter of pride. But getting godly counsel, I think, is really important. Letting and trusting, or I should say, opening up to people that you can trust to speak truth to you instead mm -hmm. of just mirroring back what you think they think you want to hear. You know, that's important. You know, I think as you're just making these decisions that are really life, life changing, life direct directing type things. What would you say, maybe I'll just give you some specific things to a parent or grandparent that's listening to say, that says, well, you know, it's one thing to send, you know, your son, he's got a daughter and kids, they're going to be fine. But sending over my single daughter like that is too much. You know, what would you say to a dad that's struggling with sending over a single daughter? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't had to do it, but that is tough because we've had single ladies come to our church, you know, to raise support. I was very concerned about them, where they were going to be, who they were working with. Sure. What yeah. is their support structure there? Are they, are they alone? Are they with a, with another family? Are, are there, is there more than one family that they're going to be with? Um, uh, what's their role in, you know, in the field going to be? You know, um, and of course, then you, are they qualified for that role? You know, that kind of thing as well. But, um, you know, then I guess then it boils down to, you know, the conviction is this truly, you know, God's call in their heart and trusting that. Um, I would want to make sure if it were my daughter that I would know all those things, the specifics. You know, and yeah. I, really, I recognize oftentimes that changes when you get to feel you're going one direction and then. And then, you know, the zigzags, you know, things change, direction changes, but um, still making, you know, being careful to know that she's putting herself where God would have her in the right situation, not under temptations, things like this. I, th I think, you know, what I'm hearing you say, and I, I think I agree with that is like recognizing that. Worry is a sin, but like the wisdom that comes with experience and concerns may actually be that voice helping you to think through things. Doesn't mean it's not right to go, but it, but also I I know it's it's funny you're, as you're talking about and you got your calling in the ministry. I remember you're like you're like 35, right? Well, now I look at 35 and think young. You don't know what you're doing, but at the time, you know, you were the oldest student in Bible college. You know, one of the older ones, and everyone was like, "Wow, this." old gray head here, you know, now I look at 35 and think, you know, I, I just was starting to realize I didn't know anything at, the, at 35, you know, and, uh, 
and, and recognizing that with age comes, yeah, sometimes overcautiousness, but also sometimes right perspective on, on the, on wisdom of what to be looking for. So, um, that, that's good. Scott, can I ride your coattails a little bit there? I think that's a word of wisdom for people listening who might be college students, young people who found this podcast because their parents are giving resistance to the idea of, of them being a missionary overseas. And I think the word of counsel to them is don't throw out your parents' wisdom, assuming that it's godly wisdom and that they're coming at it from a biblical perspective. Don't throw that out. Frankly, it would be a, a, a bad parent would have no concern for the safety of their children. And each situation is different. And as much as we see the importance of missions throughout scripture, we also don't see God's people in a rush too often. And God has his ways and his timings. And you can still follow the commandment to honor your, your father and mother uh, while pursuing God as a missionary. You don't typically have to choose one or the other. And so listen uh, to your parents. Uh, maybe they don't have all of the same perspective, and that's okay. Um, but final words of advice, and then how can people reach out to you if they'd like to connect? Just just be open to listen. I think we can't shut our, our children down when they're talking about these new ideas and something they want to do. We need to keep an open door so they talk about it freely, um, be supportive help them get the resources that they need so they can do the job better or make a better decision. I would also add to that, involve them in ministry now. Yeah. You know, where they are, where they're living. Um, mm. You don't just suddenly flip a switch and boom, I'm a missionary to like cross a border. Um, yeah. Start, you know, showing gospel interests and gospel love, you know, now, even as a young person, there's so many ways to serve, you know, in your community, mm. so many ways to reach out. You know, whether they're in high school or college or or just at a job that they're working in, um, you know, I, I guess I would want to see in my young person um, a heart for that before they tell me they're going to go overseas and do it. I want oh, to see yeah. it here, you know, yeah. Are you part of a, you know, we involved our kids right from young, young age. I remember taking the, the boys with me on visitation. Uh, we would take them with us to the nursing homes and, and you know, where we served and, and they would get involved in people's lives there in their own rooms. They, they would take their Bibles and launch off into, you know, down a hallway and start meeting with people on their own. And I remember watching Scott get engaged with a, with a lady and uh, witness, trying to witness to her. And he'd come home and open his Bible and study because she had questions he couldn't answer. It was a wonderful experience for them. And so parents really should start thinking of their children as, as um, mission vehicles, even young, training them and equipping them in the event that God does call them to a vocational ministry like that. Yeah, that goes back to a conversation we had with an ABWE worker back um, two, three years ago, very early uh, in the life of this show. It was a conversation about how to train and nurture MKs, missionary kids. And one of the points that he made was that before their MKs, they should be kid missionaries, KMs. Mm -hmm. And that gets at exactly what you're saying here mm -hmm. is, should it be shocking to us if a child responds with a missionary calling or prompting or burden, if they've already been living that way? And mm -hmm. what an affirmation of godly parenthood that that would be the outcome of the type yeah. of missional lifestyle that a child would grow up with. 
And from that standpoint, we should aim for that, whether we've embraced the idea of our children living overseas or not, we should aim for that. One, one other thing that you guys had mentioned to me earlier, I just want to make sure I highlight this because it fits uh, with the demo. But, but uh, you, you had mentioned how helpful it was, one, to go to the field and visit. I, I, that kind of comes naturally, I think, to most parents. But another one that I encourage parents to do and, and missionaries listening, encourage your parents to do would be come to demo. Um, come to the come to headquarters and and just meet people like I think knowing our regional director, knowing the people behind the scenes, getting a heart for the leadership um, helped you trust that they were that we were in good hands. Right. Wouldn't you say? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I forgot to mention that that was a huge con- confirmation and a comfort to our heart when we were able to spend a week, get to meet these you know various people that you, you don't otherwise see. But uh, and to get this, see what kind of um, structures, support structure and care structures really there. That was huge. That was a real blessing. And, and I would say to ABWE's credit and I, probably other mission agencies are the same way. But the two, the only two people who are more honored than the missionaries themselves, or maybe three, is probably the sending church pastor, um, the missionary kids <laughs> that usually get honored a lot and loved a lot. Um, at least that's our heart and desire to do that. And then, then the parents of this of sending. And so if you're a parent listening, you know, the de- just come to demo to see what's going on or just pop into the office and tell us who, who your parents, you know, who your kids are. We want you to come by. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, um, that would be a, a huge honor to the, to the headquarters to have you there. Absolutely. And, and Scott, speaking of resources that exist, I know you have a few you want to recommend before we wrap. Well, just, just a couple out that are out there. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, you know, obviously listening, reading blogs, listening to shows like the podcast, I think help people think through issues that their, that their kids are thinking through, but also um, there's a, there's a book out there called, um, 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 Third Culture Kids, which was mentioned, and I highly recommend that. We can put that in the show notes. It just helps to understand some of the the dynamics of like, you know, why do your grandkids love soccer and not football, you know, and and uh, some of the unique struggles they come back speaking English and looking, you know, and, and you know, in some ways like they belong in America, but in other ways uh, really just don't. And how do you help them with that? And then there's a book out there that's recommended. I have not read this book, but I've, I've it's got good recommendations. Um, called Parents of Missionaries, How to Thrive and Stay Connected When Your Children and Grandchildren Serve Cross-Culturally um, by uh, Cheryl Savigo. I think that's how you pronounce it. And uh, highly recommend, uh, you know, the, we recommend those two books to check out. Well, this has been a joy for me, hopefully for everyone as well. And I think it's only fitting to conclude with some scriptures because we serve the God who's faithful to a thousand generations, to those who love him and keep his commandments, Deuteronomy 7, 9, and Psalm 145, verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So thank you for listening today. But before you leave, please remember to share this show and also leave it a positive rating and a five-star review in your podcast app of choice that helps the algorithms get this in front of more people who can be blessed by it. And if you want more content on missions, theology, and practice, head on over to missionspodcast.com. And if you have a question or a topic suggestion of your own, email alex at missionspodcast.com. Until next week, thank you for listening.